All right. Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm still Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Good, good evening, Corey. We're, we're, uh, we're recording a day late today. We're, <laughs> I'm not sure if we're a dollar short or not. We'll see if we have as many, uh, as many viewers or whether it makes any difference. But uh, yeah, a day late, that's okay. So um, President Trump called out Senator Mike Lee this week. He said he should be ashamed of himself for not fighting harder to prove Trump's claim of election fraud. Corey, what's the best case here to defend Mike Lee? So apparently Bob Woodward, the reporter, the infamous reporter, uh, he has a new book, says Mike Lee made some calls, did his own research to determine whether Vice President Mike Pence could declare Donald Trump the winner of the 2020 election. That is, you know, rather than certify the Biden victory. Now, I don't take everything written by Bob Woodward as fact. And I don't think anyone else should either. But assuming the gist of the story is correct, I think we see maybe another side of Mike Lee. So Mike Lee is quoted as saying to his Senate colleagues, you need to realize that you're basic, you've basically lost unless something really extraordinary happens, something that would be itself eyebrow raising and very troubling. I mean, to me, the best defense of Mike Lee is probably the one that I kept coming to at the time, and I still do today when I talk with folks um, when we talk about this. I mean, with so many reports of voter fraud, you'd think that the Trump legal team could they really needed to provide solid evidence in court. And honestly, Todd, they just didn't. I mean, the Trump team brought 50 something lawsuits claiming voter fraud. That's 50 chances to bring solid evidence. And they lost every single case. And I mean, many of these cases came before Trump appointed judges. So we can't just say that the, the refs were stacked against us. Yeah. And not only did they lose the cases, I mean, his lawyers in Michigan have been publicly sanctioned and humiliated. They have to attend CLE uh, continuing legal education classes in, in Michigan to atone for their, uh, for their uh, sins of, of, of making such frivolous arguments. And, you know, this is a bad look for Trump because Mike Lee has been a Trump loyalist. He actually has uh, two women running against him right now for re-election, for his re-election bid, because of his allegiance to F Trump. Yeah. He compared sure. Trump to Captain Moroni uh, less than a year ago. He has been one of the most loyal Trump um, supporters, certainly in the U.S. Senate. And now um, Trump is showing no amount of allegiance is good enough for Donald Trump. And it's it's really not a good look for Donald Trump. And, and it kind of just leaves... I mean, Mike Lee's not the first one that's been accused of not being loyal enough. So, uh, you know, just about as loyal as a Trump supporter as you're going to get. And what was Mike Lee's sin? He actually researched the claim that uh, that Trump's uh, people were making that Congress could uh, basically throw out the election results and refuse to certify the winners, you know, based yeah. on this constitutional premise that Mike Lee concluded didn't exist. And so, I mean, you know, even though he was a loyal Trump ad adherent, he's also a student of the Constitution. And so he researches this and says, there's no there there and tells his colleagues, I've researched this and there's no there there. And, and now uh, he's going to be excoriated for that. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's worth saying that we all saw this disturbing images on cable news about Republican poll watchers, how they were treated you know, it seemed like there were shenanigans happening all over the country. It was incredibly frustrating to watch Biden 
uh, losing by a lot in a lot of states uh, on election night and then suddenly like come back from large deficits late into the night and the next several days and and all of that feels like shady and, and yeah. I'm totally with that but I mean I think I think the problem is though the Trump team couldn't produce the evidence and at some point you got to put up or shut up and I, I and, hate saying that but it's true I mean as frustrating as it was to watch Biden win and speaking of evidence, Corey, you know, we had this story leak out of Arizona that the uh, six month, six million dollar recount actually confirmed Biden's victory by a wider margin. Yeah. However, I don't think the story is over yet because the canvas that they did there and I, I, I'm not a big recount guy, but uh, I'm hearing from uh, credible sources that the canvas will show that tens of thousands, at, uh, more than 30,000 illegal um, ballots were cast in that race. And if that's the case, then even though the official tally may show that Biden won by, you know, less than 1%, if you throw out, you know, if, if you throw out 30,000 illegally cast vote and 29,990 of them were for Biden, that, that means that, you know, maybe did Trump did win. Now, remember, they only did a recount in Mar Maricopa County, not statewide. Um, and uh, I'm getting emails and letters almost daily asking for a recount in Utah, even though it would cost millions of dollars and even though Trump won Utah by a resounding matter. But yeah. there are a lot of people that are absolutely convinced that there there was all kinds of election fraud um, in, in this country last election cycle and that we we need to root it out. I mean, I guess I understand that, but. I, I mean, I live in Utah County, and I just had I just have a lot of faith in the Utah County clerk and her team. I, I just don't really believe that they were duped by mass voter fraud. I think she did a great job. I think they did a really solid job. Well, yeah, Amelia Gardner is, is as solid a Republican, Republican as you can get. And the, the 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 interesting thing, Corey, is we don't have a statewide election in Utah. We don't have a federal election. What we have is county elections all over right. the country. Right. So right. we have 29 counties in Utah. And about two dozen of them are Republicans. And so you would have to believe that Republicans are throwing the race for the Democrats for some odd reason. And, and I know that, you know, Salt Lake County, just like Maricopa County, is the biggest county. And, it, it, and they do have a, a Democratic county clerk. And I've heard, you know, suspicions about her for years, but, but they're always, you know, completely uh, without foundation. And so, you know, I'm... I'm sure we've never had a perfect election in Utah, and I don't think we ever will, but I don't believe that, the, that there's, there was massive voter fraud in Utah in uh, 2020. So. All right, moving on. So Davis County School District apparently sent around an email reminding schools not to display politically charged flags in schools. It seems to have indicated Black Lives Matter and the LGBT uh, pride flags would fall into that category. On, in contrast, the Salt Lake City School District seems to have taken the entirely opposite positions, basically encouraging all kinds of flags. So, Todd, where do you come down on what flags should fly? I, I would rather keep the keep keep the politically charged flags out of out of school. I mean, because. I just don't think there's a, there's an exit strategy there. And I don't know if you saw the story today, but there was a, a, a teacher or I'm sorry, a school bus driver down in the Alpine school district, I think in the Lehigh area that had some, um, you know, some uh, messaging on, on inside his bus, you know, sending messages to students that you know, some people have described as conservative messaging, pro-family 
messaging and uh, he was fired today for that. So, you know, and you know, this is the same school district where that teacher that we talked about last month was fired. I just, you know, I would just love if our school teachers could focus on teaching the kids how to read and and how to do math and how to do science and uh, tone down the conservative messages and the liberal messages. And because we're just, unfortunately, we're in this toxic political environment right now where someone's going to be offended no matter what you do or what you say. And so I would prefer just to, to, you know, to, to, to not turn the classroom or the school buses into a, a, a political advocacy um, uh, situation. I think I agree with you on that. I do have a little mixed feelings because I think, I think, I think both school districts approached it in it, have approached it in a plausible way. I mean, Davis school districts was saying in the, at least as reported that they, wouldn't allow any flags where, you know, Salt Lake City schools would say, okay, all kinds of flags. But I mean, the question would be, I, mean, I don't think they would, I don't think they would allow a Confederate flag or a swastika and I don't think they should, <laughs> but I mean, Black Lives Matter, certainly a political flag, the so-called progress, progress pride flag, the new LGBT flag is certainly a political statement, but so would they, would they, I mean, you made the point that what's the exit strategy? Cause would, would they allow the thin blue line police flag? Would they allow kind yeah. of the Gadsden don't tread on me flag. I mean, if they're open to that, then I guess, I mean, for me, it is all or none. I mean, I think all, as you said, is a slippery slope and quickly become completely unworkable. But so I prefer, I prefer the no, no political flags, but I guess I could have some patience with the all approach just to see how it goes and yeah, probably crashes and burns, but. And I think it interferes potentially with the education. If you have all of the conservative students or conservative students with, I mean, or students with conservative parents leery and suspicious of the progressive or liberal leaning teachers yeah. and vice versa. Yeah, I don't true. think that's healthy for our educational system. I mean, why can't teachers just teach and, yeah. and, and leave the politics for uh, another time? So, yeah. This week, this past week, progressive Democrats in Congress stripped funding for Israel's Iron Dome system that protects the country from rockets launched by Palestinian terror groups. Corey, was this just a typical funding fight or does it tell us something more about the Democratic caucus? I think this tells us that the Democratic caucus is irreconcilably split on Israel. So you had AOC, her her squad and other progressives calling for removal of the Israel Dome funding. Well, AOC voted present, right? She kind of did a copy. Yeah, ultimately, that's what she voted as present. But, I mean, you have a large number of Jewish Democratic members of Congress, pretty large. Not all of them are full-throated Israel supporters, of course, but certainly quite a few of them are. And it is worth noting that, you know, Jews in this country are overwhelmingly Democrats. Democrats. So, anyway, the the squad and the ultra-progressive liberals got the funding pulled. Later, the House Democratic leadership... Uh, felt the need to restore it somehow, so they did hold a separate vote. So after it was pulled, so we had and we had a new vote. We still had progressives voting no, and as you said, I mean AOC voted no, but then she changed her vote to present, and she was seen weeping on the House floor afterwards. She was interviewed like a day later and asked about her views and why she, you know, what was her view about Iron Dome and what did she did she oppose and. Basically, she gave this completely incoherent word salad about settlements and you know occupation. Basically, she had no idea what what she didn't like about it. She knew she didn't like it, but she didn't know exactly why. And, and you know, in any case, I think I think what this this ep- episode really exposes a large fissure in the Democratic caucus. It, it yeah. puts traditional liberal Democrats 
against this new progressive wing that's just way out there. And something I, I think we're going to see more and more of it. Yeah, and a couple members of the squad, I wouldn't put AOC in this category, but uh, one or two other members of the squad have been have have made uh, blatantly anti-Semitic comments over the past three years, and almost universally they get a pass in the media. And um, to their credit, I think the Republicans have had some Congress people that have uh, said some really stupid things. And they're usually ostracized and disciplined by the Republicans, um, whereas, you know, and I'm not saying the Republicans are perfect at that, but I think uh, in terms of police and their own over the past three to five years, I think the Republicans in Congress have done a much better job than the Democrats have. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just going to get worse. And, 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 le- and, and here's your classic both sides, but both sides have extremists in Congress who say and do inappropriate things. I'm not saying it's just Democrats. But um, only once I only see one side really properly policing their own. Um, so in any event, that's my that's my bias. and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right, moving on. So this week, tens of thousands more migrants crossed our border in response to the Biden administration's willful encouragement. But rather than focus on the unprecedented masses of people freely crossing the border, the media wants to villainize a couple of Border Patrol agents on horseback just trying to stem the tide. Todd. Should we be focusing our criticism on the Border Patrol agents here? Well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, I think it's I, I think that the Democrats um, rightfully so are very embarrassed. I mean, they called out Trump, you know, when he had 10 percent of uh, the immigrants that they didn't they didn't know what to do with uh, two or three years ago. And now, I mean, literally, it's 10 times the, as big of a problem as ever, ever was under Trump. The, the, they tried to ban, you know, any drones from taking pictures of literally tens of thousands of well over 10,000 people living temporarily under a freeway overpass um and just i mean kamala harris was put in charge of this border crisis and it, it's at least gotten triple to five times as bad since she was put in charge of it and uh she was shamed into going to the border you know two months ago or so but hasn't done you know by all intents and purposes anything uh, to make the border crisis better and now today you know, we find out that over 10,000 Haitians have been released inside the U.S. and um, and none of them, zero of them were COVID tested. And we have uh, no idea where they are, where to find them, where they're going. And, um, and, and, and we're not allowed to call this a crisis because that's a bad word. And you're not allowed to use bad words when it comes to the Biden administration. So, um, and, and I just want to throw this out there. Um, many of these Haitians, um, I mean, Haiti's had another earthquake, you know, in the past month or so, but many of these Haitians have been living in Central and South America for years. Yeah. And I think the the question that I want answered is who is organizing this effort? Because I don't believe for a moment that all of a sudden over 10,000 Haitians just all had the same thought, you know what, yeah. I'm going to walk up to the Mexican US border and try to cross today or, or this week or this month, somebody, some organization is organizing this, is helping transport them, and they're creating this um, crisis because they want open borders uh, for the United States and Mexico. I, I mean, I think that's completely true. You got these coyotes who, who are telling the people, like, this is your chance, run to the border. It's, it's, it's basically open. I mean, so the, the media reported that the Border Patrol agents had whips and they were whipping people and that was a lie they were on horses but there were no whips i watched all the video that i could possibly find i didn't see anything noteworthy there was no whipping 
it certainly wasn't outrageous. I think these border patrol agents are just put in an impossible situation. It reminds me, I worked at the McKay Event Center when I was in college, and I worked these concerts late at night where my basically my job was to keep people from coming down from their seats onto the floor. And early in the night, people are kind of relatively respectful, and I tell them, no, you got to go back to your seat. But by mid-concert, half of them are drunk or whatever, and you just have groups of guys just bull rush me. I mean, obviously, I can stop more than one or two out of ten, and even even then, I'd have to get physical to sort of like hold somebody back. These border patrol agents, I mean, all they're trying to do is their jobs. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, Biden does not believe in border security. He doesn't believe we should have a secure border. Democrats want to abolish the border patrol, you know, like replace it with free food, free housing, free medical care. You know, are you a member of MS-13? Uh, okay, well, try to behave. <laughs> you know, we would just don't spoil it for everyone else. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's the policy that we have going on. So you said uh, thousands have been allowed in. Because well, over 10,000. Yeah. So to Homeland Security, DHS uh, secretary will say we're that they're deporting migrants, putting them on planes. But that's about a quarter of the story, because about 75 percent of migrants, they're just released in the U.S. in the name of asylum. And for those who don't understand, like basically like asylum is saying I, I'm persecuted and I, I fear for my life. And uh, these guys, they, as you said, many of them have lived 10 years in Brazil. And so. They're coming here for economic reasons, and I'm not saying those aren't legit, but it's certainly not asylum. But they know they know the script. They just say they're here for asylum and they fear for their life, and they're given a hearing date, released into America, and saying, all right, hey, look, you have a hearing date. You need to come back on this date. Of course, none of them return unless they know they have an actual strong asylum case. You know, very, very, very few of them are in that boat. I don't think it's fair to say none of them return. I think maybe saying 99% don't return would be <laughs> I mean, I think 1% or there's probably more than 1% that feel like they have a strong asylum case. And, yeah. And probably those are the ones we should allow. But and, in any case, like Biden says this border isn't open, but uh, but practically that's exactly what it is. The migrants know that it's open. That's why they're coming. All you need to do is show up, claim asylum, and you're good to go. You're good yeah. to stay. And, you know, this story about the horses and the whips. So it really stemmed from one of two areas, and both of them should be disturbing. Either you have a bunch of progressive East Coast journalists who don't know anything about horses or handling horses or riding <laughs> horses, and they saw this video and they didn't know what was happening. And then they just jumped to the worst possible conclusion that these people had whips so that they could not keep the, the horses under control, but that they could whip the migrants. Either that or they knew exactly what was happening and they lied. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so the, the story about the whips was completely misleading, untrue, fabricated. And yet, as a result of those misno those stories that were wrong, um, there's no, there's going to be no more horses allowed uh, for the Border Patrol agents. A, a completely fake story. Yeah, next week, uh, Corey, Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney will headline a fundraiser for Utah Representative Blake Moore, who's a freshman. Uh, Cheney's um, obviously well well known or best known for supporting the impeachment of President Donald Trump following the January 6th episode uh, insurrection riot at the uh, U.S. Capitol. Corey, this seems like an interesting move by Blake Moore. What do you make of this? It's definitely a bold move on Blake Moore's part. I think Ch Cheney has de certainly does have some support in Utah, but she also has many detractors. And so I think you got to view this as a statement that the Blake Moore is making about who he thinks ought to be part of the Republican Party. 
I mean, Ch- Cheney faces a di- very difficult primary challenge back in Wyoming. Trump has now endorsed a candidate. And so if that candidate can clear the field, then. And George Bush has, uh, has, has endorsed uh, Liz Cheney. So and has endorsed her. Yeah. But she's going to have her work cut out for her. If there's multiple yeah. candidates, then I think she has a chance of winning. If she doesn't, if this guy clears the field, or I'm sorry, it's a woman that Trump has endorsed. If she's able to clear the field, I think it's, uh, it's going to be tough, but I mean, for me, I would say, I mean, Liz Cheney doesn't crack my top 100 favorite members of Congress. I mean, I think she's a, her neoconservative brand of foreign policy is not my thing, but um, I actually appreciate Blake Moore here. And I, I said, just say, bear with me because I mean, for me, I think it's far more important, important that we win elections to stop this progressive onslaught. I mean, we would not be facing a $3.5 trillion after already spending, you know, 4 trillion this year, if, if we had a Republican Congress or Republican Senate. So for me, that's the highest priority. Yeah. That means we need a large enough tent to take in the Trump faithful and Trump skeptics in the Republican Party. I mean, I think I think Republicans of all stripes reacted differently to the events of January 6th. You and I have talked about it. I think it's okay. I think it's okay yeah. to say, like, I didn't really like that, or I think, you know, I wasn't comfortable with this. I think we can disagree. And I think, but I think that we can still work together to stop yeah. the left from burying our children in mountains of debt. So well, I just I want to share. I talked to uh, Congressman John Curtis, who's not exactly a Trump loyalist um, himself, not also not necessarily anti-Trump. But um, when the Republican um, caucus removed Liz Cheney from her leadership position, I heard uh, John Curtis talking about it. And he said, you know, uh, basically, he said, you know, I believe Liz Cheney has every right to vote in favor of impeachment if that's what her conscience dictates. However, I voted to remove her from leadership because she's no longer representing the majority of the Republican caucus. She's she's speaking for herself. You know, she is the news story. She's not trying to help us promote our agenda. She's now promoting her own agenda. And I thought that's really interesting because the leadership in a legislative body, especially a minority leadership, should be speaking for the caucus should be promoting the caucus and she's kind of stepped away from the caucus and and kind of was using her leadership you know as a bully pulpit to attack trump and so i thought that was an interesting hybrid that you know i i don't necessarily condemn her for voting her conscious but i don't believe she deserves to be in leadership anymore because she's not putting the the caucus's interest first. Yeah, we've seen that from the other side. We've we've seen members. It's more often the case that you have members of leadership who are too conservative, let's say, yeah. or too too, and and it becomes a problem for leadership. And so it, it would be the opposite problem of Liz Cheney, and they, yeah. they still need to kind of get pushed out and be like, this this isn't working for us. You, and you know, and that's why you'll never see someone like um, AOC or even Maxine Waters, who's been yeah, there or Ted Cruz. In, you'll in never Senate. see any of them in leadership. So elected leadership. There is some like Mike Lee was an appointed leadership when I'm, uh, they were trying to kind of bring rein him in a little bit, but I don't think that worked. So yeah, yeah. in any event, well, that's right. our, uh, that's our podcast for today, Corey. Thanks so much for, uh, uh, for your input and, uh, we'll be back next Sunday. We usually record these on Sunday, but, uh, I was out of town. So we pushed it to Monday, our family home evening edition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Fun as always. Have a great week. Thanks.